0: chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20, and that's what Tim had just read. Uh, We're concluding our series today, How to Read the Bible, and what we have done over the last four weeks is we have laid out some perspectives, if you would, some principles, if you will, about how to correctly read the scriptures and when I say that not that you don't know how to read but what I mean is that how to look at the scriptures and know what they are that we are not just looking at an ordinary book written by men but we are looking at the very words written and given to us by an almighty God and so we have looked at things like well the Bible that we read is inspired by God it is God breathed it is the words breathed out by God we know that the words of the Bible are transforming when we surrender our hearts and when we uh, don't hold ourselves uh, with hard-headedness and stiff-neckedness, we allow the words to change us. We know that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He is the very Word of God who came in human form and in the flesh. And so He reveals to us things about God. And today, we're going to discuss how Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, and how that helps us to interpret the Scriptures. So today's message is titled, Jesus Perfectly Fulfills the Old Testament. When uh, I was young, uh, my sister and I, uh, or she did rather, she got a birthday present, and what she got was some invisible ink. And you could not see the words unless you went into a dark space. And I remember very vividly, she wrote something down on a piece of paper, and we went into the bathroom to read what she wrote, and it said, Nick is dumb. Ah. All right. But you couldn't even see the message unless you went into the room, and then in the dark room, the message was revealed. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. He fulfills the Old Testament, and through his life and ministry, the words of the Old Testament, the message of the Old Testament, then comes to life, and we're able to understand it and interpret it more clearly. And that's our biblical principle for today. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament. And we apply this in this way. The Old Testament must be interpreted through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now let's give a little bit of context into what's happening in this passage. Here we have the Sermon on the Mount. By all intents and purposes, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this took place at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Largely believed the sermon took place in Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Matthew, he wrote this gospel, and Matthew was a publican or a tax collector, a tax collector at the time. Those were not very popular people. Those were people who were frowned upon and looked down upon in the society because they were often looked at as thieves, people who were swindlers and who would deceive you. And by and large, they still are today, aren't they, tax collectors? But this is someone who Jesus Christ called— into his ministry, and he said, you follow me. He didn't go after the nobles or the high class or the wealthy or the rich. He went after the downtrodden. He said, you, you're good enough. You, you follow me, and I will lead you the way. So what Jesus is teaching us here is that the law, through the eyes of God, he says, I want you to see things through the eyes of God, and I want you to see the intent of the law and the intent of the law was for us to love God and to love people. Now I want you to look at verse 17 there in Matthew chapter 5. It says, "Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill." If you've got your Bible with you today, you may want to underline that, circle it or highlight it. Do whatever it is you need to do to remember that. Jesus Christ did not abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill. Now, when he says law and the prophets, that's basically a shorthand way of saying the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament consists of the law of Moses, the law which was given to Moses to give to God's people, and the prophets, the word of the prophets. So we're talking about the Old Testament here. Now, it's a very significant thing that Jesus says here. And the reason that it's significant. Is because we look at what the law represents, and we look at the law's purpose. What is the purpose, what was the purpose of the law of God? When you think of the law of God, what do you think of? You think of the Ten Commandments, right? Think of those Ten Commandments. Well, it's more expansive than that. God gave a whole host of laws to the Israelites when they... uh, left Egypt and were out in the wilderness wandering, and he gave them them laws for several reasons. One of those is he wanted to separate them. He wanted to sanctify them. He wanted them to be different than the rest of the world. He said, I want to set you apart. You are my special people, and I want to set you apart from the rest of the pagan culture. So I'm going to institute these laws. I'm going to give them to you. And this is going to set you apart. You're not going to do the things that the pagans do. You're going to show the world that you follow God. And you're going to show the world that you are my people. And when you follow these laws, you will be blessed. So God's law was intended to separate the people out. To put them on a pedestal. And to show the rest of the world, hey, When you follow this God, the one true and living God, blessings come from that. Not the false gods of the pagan culture. And it was also to teach the people how to love. How to love God and how to love people. And to keep them close to him. The law was designed to keep the people close to God to keep a relationship between him and the people. Now, there were also some other things the law was designed to do, such as discipline, a way of disciplined living. And for their own health, there were dietary restrictions. There were things that they were to do if they were to catch certain sicknesses and diseases in order to protect them that the pagan culture didn't have. You know, if they got something like leprosy, Well, if you were a pagan in that culture, it would probably spread. But God set up specific requirements to put them outside the city gates for a certain period of time in order for them to heal so that they weren't contagious and then bring them back in. So God's people were often much more healthy, a healthier, prosperous society because they had these laws that God had given them. And if followed they would be blessed. Now, the law was also designed to reveal to the people that no matter how well you keep these rules, there's still going to be problems. And you're going to find that you're not going to be able to keep these commandments and you're going to have a need for me at all times. Do you see that? How the Ten Commandments reveal to us a reflection of how we need God, right? You know you can't keep the Ten Commandments. You know you failed at some point in time. We all have, and they teach us that we need God, right? And we'll get a little bit more into that. But then you also have the prophets. You think of the words that the prophets used. Thus says the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. They were sounding the call for God's people who wandered away to come back. Come back to the Lord. You are wandering. You are rebelling. Come back. Now, these prophets, boy, I tell you, they had it rough. You would not want to be a prophet. Being a prophet of God is no easy job. I mean, you think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was beaten, put in stocks. He was thrown into a cistern and left there to die. And then you think about the prophet Isaiah. The Bible says that he was sawn asunder. Basically, he was cut in half. Isaiah was cut in half. And then, not to mention what they did to Jesus, here we have the sinless son of God, God in the flesh, and boy, he just didn't meet the criteria of the people. Whoop, put him on the cross. Put him on the cross. Boy, you see just how fickle humanity is? You love something one minute, and boy, you hate it the next. You just can't see with perspective, people, can we? And so that's what God is trying to teach. I need to bring you back. And God's prophets also spoke in a way that gave the people hope. Gave the people hope for a future. Hey, what is happening now can be fixed. Come back to me and there will be a prosperous future. So when you look at the significance of the law and the prophets, doesn't it make perfect sense that Jesus says, hey, I didn't come here to do away with this. I didn't come here to abolish this. I came here to fulfill this. And Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law and the prophets. So now the next question becomes, well, what motivated Jesus to say this at this time? Here we are. This is a Sermon on the Mount. And it seemed to me he just gets through saying, blessed are are these people blessed? Are the poor blessed? Are the persecuted? He gives out all these blessings, and then he makes this statement: "I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I come to fulfill." And to me, it seemed kind of out of place at first. And I was like, "What does that mean exactly?" So I had to go back, and we got to look into the context. Right? We always got to look at the context of the passage. Why was it being said? What was taking place at the time? Let's put this into per, some, some perspective. Before this occurred the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ comes down to the Jordan River and there's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus steps into that water in the Jordan River and John the Baptist submerges him down into the waters of the Jordan River and Jesus comes up and there the dove comes down and descends upon him Representative of the Holy Spirit of God and a voice from the heavens shouts from above. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately after that, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he is led in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And in the wilderness, Satan throws his best punches at Jesus. But Jesus defeats the works of the devil. And he says, Satan, be gone from here. Do not try to twist the scriptures of the word of God. And he says, Satan, you leave. And he defeats him. And then Jesus goes out and he starts to call his first disciples. And then he begins to teach. And that takes us here to the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to point something out to you here. If you look at verse 2, or no, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5, Matthew there, it says, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, he sat down. Now, that was a posture taken by the rabbis, and they were teachers. So he doesn't, he's not up there on the mountain standing up like you see me, but he goes up there. And he sits down and he takes a posture as if he is about to teach them something. And then he opens up with the greatest sermon that was ever preached, a sermon on the mount. And then we get to verse 17 here. And he says, folks, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, to do away with, to eradicate the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. That's what he says. I came to to fulfill it. And then he begins to teach. And the things that he teaches are counter-cultural. You know, it's very riveting and profound because the teaching of a time was so focused on the outward appearance. And that's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees focused on, the outward appearance of man. And they were blind to the true purpose of the law. Jesus gave his words on the mount and he gave them to the downtrodden to the lowly, the middle class. And he said, listen to what he says. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's not talking to the nobles. He's not talking to the upper crust. He's talking to the outcast and the downtrodden. And he's saying, you are the light and the salt. He is giving them hope and it really, really angered the religious leaders because they had this, they had built up in the people's mind. Well, you can't be a a prophet or a minister of God because you don't look a certain way. You don't talk a certain way. You're not eloquent. You're not refined. You're too rough. You're too this. And Jesus came in and Jesus was rough. Jesus was a tectone, right? He was a stone cutter, a rock mason. The Bible calls it a carpenter. But Jesus, he came in and he shook things up. And he said, listen to me. It is not about the outward appearance of a man. It is about what is inside the man's heart. It is what's on the inside that counts, is basically what he was saying there. And so Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And this is a very important statement because I asked myself, well, what motivated Jesus to say these remarks? And the reason he was motivated to say this is because Jesus is confirming that all of the Old Testament points to him. So That's a very important point I want you to understand is that when we read the old testament it's all designed to point us toward Jesus Christ because right there even at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 we see God making a promise right after the fall of man right after sin came into the world hey i'm going to fix this there's a problem here and i'm going to fix it it's coming But I just need you to have the faith and the patience to wait upon it, right? The faith and the patience to wait upon it. And so Jesus is saying to the people here also that he fulfills the Messiahship. Jesus is the Messiah. And you say, well, what's Messiah? What does that mean? That's not a word I hear very often. I hear Jewish people say that word. That word, quite uh, frankly, just means Savior. It means Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the anointed one of God who can fix the curse and can restore us back to where we were before. Jesus also came to fulfill the sacrificial system. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. The sacrificial system. You guys have read oh about the the sacrificing of these animals. What was the purpose? What was the intent behind that? The intent behind that was to paint a picture to them and say, hey, even though the blood of these animals is atoning for your sin right now, guess what? You're still going to sin, and you're still going to have to cut up some more animals. What I'm trying to tell you is I'm sending a Savior who is going to be a once-and-for-all sacrifice that is going to do away with this. Because when you have a need for salvation, he's going to bring it. And when you have a need for forgiveness, he's going to give it. And so Jesus became a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, you know, folks, that that blood of Jesus is only applied to those who ask for the forgiveness, right? Don't just assume you have it. You have to ask it. You have to receive it. You have to embrace it. You have to want it. You have to want it. I want that salvation of God. Bring it on. Give it to me. I want it in my soul, right? You got to have, you got to want your soul to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So very interesting. Jesus says, I fulfill the law and the prophets. So how does that help us interpret the Old Testament scriptures? You know, I'm looking at the Old Testament. I'm trying to figure this out. How does Jesus fulfilling the law help me read this? Well, I want to point out some passages to you here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to look six times. Jesus says this. You have heard it said, but I say to you. I'm going to give you some verses here. And I want you to uh, make some marks here in your Bible. Verses 21 and 22. Look what it says. Verse 21. You have heard and in verse 22 he says but i say to you he says that again in verses 27 and 28 verses 31 32 33 34 38 39 43 and 44 six times you have heard it said but i say to you what he's doing is he is renovating the law into the ears of his listeners he is making a, what he is doing is he is showing them the intention And the purpose behind the law. That it wasn't just a reflection of what's on the outside like they had been taught by the Pharisees. But it goes much deeper than that. It goes to the core. It goes to the root. It goes to the heart. And so when I thought about this, I'm like, wow, there's two things that jump out at me when I read this passage. There's more, but two will do for now. And this is really what jumped out at me, and I want to share it with you, is that number one, following rules doesn't produce godliness. Following rules doesn't produce godliness. You know, I tried to do that 20 years ago. I said, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to give this Bible thing a shot. I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to try and be a Christian. So I pick up the Bible, and I start to read the Bible. didn't make any sense to me at all. And it didn't take long before I slammed that Bible shut and set it aside. You know why it didn't make sense? Because the Bible is not an instruction manual on how that you can read things that you can do and say, Ooh, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. No, the Bible, the Bible is a living, breathing document. And so in order for it to be interpreted, in order for it to work in your life, you have to surrender to the Savior. And you have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you in order for the words of the Bible to make sense. And you say, well, that sounds mystical and magical. I don't know if I believe in that. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Try to read the Bible without God. Go ahead. Give it a shot. I bet you don't get past Leviticus. Give it a shot. Do it. Try to read the Bible apart from God, and it's not going to make much sense to you. You're going to say, what's the purpose? What's the point? We've got to have the Spirit of God. Look, you want the Bible to make sense? You want the Word of God to have meaning in your life? Give your heart to the Lord. Give your heart to God. It's the only way. It's the only way. Look, reading the Bible can be a very daunting task because we want the Bible to open up and we want to be able to say, this is what you do. And this is what you don't do. Right. But what the Bible tells us is that we have a problem that we can't fix and we need Jesus to fix it. That's what the Bible tells us. It says, guess what, Mr. Fixer? You know, and that's me. I'm kind of got there's a problem. I want to try and fix it. Right. Guess what? You can't. There's nothing you can do. Rely and trust in me. You're going to have to surrender to me. That's all you can do you cannot fix the problem that you have there's only one remedy and it is jesus christ amen and the people said amen right and so you know we have these laws god gave these laws and he gave these regulations to his people and he did this because we need law and order. We, we are a society that's governed by laws, and it makes us safe, and it makes us a prosperous society. Uh, and we need rules for our own safety. Someone recently showed me a video of a man, I think it was over in Russia, uh, he was working on a lathe, and he was wearing some baggy, yeah, and it got caught, and he, his arm at first, and then his whole body. It just took him in his whole body in the lathe and I said why did you show me that I had no idea that was going to show me that but you know you have safety laws to protect you from things like that that's what God's law does right you need them to function in a society and we reward based upon outside behaviors and actions that's how we're raised right you do this and you get that we've got this great Dane Dexter as you all know and uh so Savannah's been training him to be obedient for a treat, and he'll sit down and then he'll lay down and he'll put a paw up. And folk, the treat that she gives him is like the size of my pinky nail. And I think, why is that big dog surrendering for that little bitty treat? What should he hold out for something bigger? <laughs> you know, what I'm thinking. Why is he do- but he's being trained, you know, you do good, you get this. You get a little bitty crumb, right? You get a poor dexter, you should get something. He's about this big, he should get a big bone, right? But uh anyway, he gets a little bitty fingernail treat. But this doesn't translate in Christianity, and it's why Christianity is a very unique religion. In fact it's not a religion at all, it's a relationship because other religions say, Hey, do these things, keep these little uh Uh, rules here and and you'll be all right but christianity says no man you got to get to the heart of the matter you got to get down to the core i need you to trust i need you to surrender and i need you to give it to me and lay it all to me right and that's what christianity teaches us right so it's not a religion it's the relationship and so jesus is teaching right here he's saying hey You've been going through the motions long enough. The religious leaders are teaching you to go through the motions. But no one becomes a Christian by doing stuff, right? You don't say, I'm going to be a more religious person. I'm going to be a Christian. So I'm going to to not do this and I'm going to not do that. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It doesn't work. Sean Thomas, he's a senior pastor, been a senior pastor for 35 years in Angleton, Texas. He wrote an article that says, why turning over a new leaf is never enough. The person who tries to turn over a new leaf tries to get their life in order apart from Christ. They try to reform themselves to get everything swept and put in order and cast the demons out. But those demons return if there isn't someone there who has taken their place and who will keep them out. Who he's referring to is Jesus Christ right? So we can't get our lives in order without Jesus. We can't do it. We need Jesus. You know, when I was a youngster in school, this was uh, Elizabethtown Elementary, and that's at the end of Lawrenceburg Road, where Lawrenceburg Road runs into Route 50, okay, Uh, on the way to Indiana. And uh, they did this thing called Book It. And when you read a certain amount of books, you get a Book It coupon for a personal pan pizza at Pizza Hut, yay right and so i was not a big reader in school as you could probably tell <laughs> but uh i did read for that and i wanted that coupon and i wanted those pizzas and so i read and i got the pizzas but i'll tell you what i don't know what was going on at my school but there were people writing books on list and they did not read them they lied <laughs> can you believe that they lied just so they could get the personal pan pizza and they got away with it too And so there they were receiving, walking up there and getting their Book It coupon for books they did not read. On the outside, it looked like they had read those books. Didn't. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're doing things on the outside with your appearance that make you look like you're a religious, godly person, but on the inside, you didn't read those books. You didn't book it, man. Right? Right? He says you did not do that. They lied, and they got their coupon. Verse 20 here in Matthew chapter 5 says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus was, the point he was making was this, it's the outward appearance that you're worried about and you shouldn't be. And you look over in chapter 6 here, And he gives instructions on how to pray, how to fast, how to give, right? He says, hey, when you're praying, don't make a big scene. Do it in private. Your father will know what you're doing. Hey, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, right? In other words, don't make a show of it, hey, (laughs) right, when I'm giving. And then uh, when you're fasting, don't make your body face look like you are fasting, but hold yourself up with your integrity still. There's no need for you to make a show. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what Jesus was teaching against. He was saying, quit. Quit trying to make a show and give me your heart. Give me your heart. And so no one becomes a Christian by doing stuff. And real and lasting change begins on the inside. King David, you know, Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. This was a man who loved God. But boy, he created a great sin. He had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. She was a married woman. And then he had that woman's husband killed. Set him on the front lines of the battle so that he would get killed. He did that. That was a man of God. Did that. Right? And you say, well, no man of God could do that. Well, guess what? David did. David did. And guess what he did? Look what it says there in Psalm 51.10. Oh, he was so remorseful. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Yesterday, I did a load of laundry, and I took it laundry upstairs, and I dumped that laundry out on the bed. And I dumped it out on the bed, and, that, and I said to myself, this bed's clean. I dumped the laundry out onto a clean bed. This is what goes on in my head, all right? I'm meditating on a scripture. I'm doing laundry. I said, I wouldn't have dumped this laundry out on the kitchen floor because we walk on it. I wouldn't have dumped this laundry outside on the ground because it's muddy and dirty. I dumped this laundry out on a clean bed. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us here. He's trying to teach us not to put our clean clothes on the dirty floor in other words don't try and dress yourself up like something that we're not when the inside is dirty right put your clean clothes on a clean bed real and lasting change begins on the inside is what jesus is teaching here and a second thing that i have very quickly that popped out at me not only following rules doesn't produce godliness but we must guard our thoughts. Jesus goes into this uh, passage uh, there in verse 21, and he starts talking about personal relationships. He starts talking about thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, uh, uh, commit adultery, thou shalt not lie. He's talking about how we should treat people. But he's going much deeper than surface level here. He's saying, yeah, you can do those things on the outside, but really where this begins is with your thoughts. He said, yeah, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But man, I'm telling you this, don't even look at another woman with lust. That's where it begins. It begins with your eyes and your thoughts. And you know, when you begin to process those thoughts, next thing you know, it enters into the heart And then when it enters into the heart, it becomes an action, okay? There's a process there. And so Jesus is teaching us we must guard our thoughts. And the scriptures teach us this as well. Paul taught this very same thing. Take evil thoughts captive. Going back to E-Town Elementary School, we had hall monitors. And one of the duties of a hall monitor was to guard the water fountain. Now, when we would come out of recess, man, we were playing dodgeball back then you could play dodgeball and it was okay and kickball and all that stuff and we'd come in a sweaty mess and you just wanted to go to that water fountain and just suck up all the water you're so thirsty but there was a the little hall monitor and the hall monitor would count to three one two three and you had to be done drinking and get back in line. you had 30 kids right? So if you let them all drink as long as they wanted, you'd be there all day. You got three seconds to drink the water, and that was it. And that's what we need to do with our thoughts. Any evil and impure thoughts, we need to kick them out within three seconds. They've got to get out of there. The longer we allow them to flounder around and fester, the more they're going to control who we are, regardless of if you're a Christian or not. You know, you can't control necessarily what comes into your mind, right? I mean, a dream is a perfect situation. I have some crazy dreams. I'm like, how did that get in there, right? How did that get in there? But you can control how long you think about something. I got to take this thought captive. I got to take this thought under my control and get it out. It's got to go because it's going to lead to no good. And then Jesus is teaching us to dwell on the good and godly thoughts. Philippians 4, 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know, we live in a culture right now that is battling for our very mind, and particularly our youth. They're growing up at a time where all they know is monitors and devices. You know, we had the opportunity to know life before that. They, they do not. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. What I'm saying is it's a greater opportunity to be taken off course because the enemy wants your mind And he wants to take our thoughts. He can take our thoughts. He can control our thoughts through what we see and how much time we spend on that. And we've all got to be careful of that. You know, our thought life is so very important. As someone who preaches God's word, my thought life is number one at the top of the list. You cannot be a vessel that transports the word of God if you are enrolled in sin. now I'm not saying I'm a perfect person by no means. You all know that's not the case, right? But I do spend a lot of time and a lot of attention keeping myself unstained from the world. So I do not get involved in things that I know can get me. You say, well, why don't you have more of a social media presence? Right? Pastors today do. I don't because it's a great temptation for me. Right? I'll just say that. It's a great temptation. So I stay away from that. And guess what? I'm okay with that. Life is good because of that. And there's other things that I have to stay away because my thoughts have to be protected. My mind has to be protected. And it's the same for you as Christians. We've got to go that extra step to protect our mind. And our thoughts. Look, it's a lot of work. Because at every corner, it's like, you know, you could watch that video. You could listen to that song. You could watch this movie. You can. You can indulge. But you got to think. Where is this going to take you? And you think it's a little bitty thing, too. Just a little simple thing. Man, it's just a little. Guess what? It snowballs. And it takes a hold. And the next thing you know, you're adrift. And then the prophets, thus says the Lord, hear the word of God. The next thing you know, they're calling you back in. Come back. Come back. Where are you today? Are you focused on the outward appearance? or Are you focused on the heart? Jesus says, focus on the heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord God that you have given your word to us, especially in what I believe a day and an age uh, with modern technology and all its marvels. It, It does do some great things, but we are constantly on the attack, being attacked. And we have to be careful what we let into our mind and what we allow to come into our heart. So Father, I pray now for this congregation and for all Christians everywhere to give us the strength, Father God, let that Holy Spirit have its way in our lives, that we would be strong enough to guard our thoughts and to guard our ears and to guard our eyes. Father, that we may serve you with compassion, that we may know exactly, Father, Father God, what it is that you would have us to do. Because we know that those things also serve as an impediment to your wisdom. And so, Father, I pray that we would all follow you in wisdom by keeping those things away from us. Father, you are good, godly, and holy. I want to thank you, Lord God, for the character that you have, that you are righteous in all your ways. There is no evil that dwells within you at any time. You can never do an evil thing. You can never tell a lie. You sit on your throne. You are righteous and holy, and you have everything under your control. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.